lecture twelve of lectures on painting by edward armitage this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture twelve composition of incident pictures in my last lecture i treated the art of composition as applied to decorative or semi-decorative work of work intended rather to cover a given wall space with noble and picturesque forms than to give a dramatic version of any particular incident my present lecture will be devoted to the composition and arrangement of figure pictures whether biblical historical or anecdotic whose object is to represent in the most forcible way any given incident we are far more particular now about the arrangement or what the french call the mise en scène of a picture than the old masters ever were we may not be able to paint like titian or correggio but we attempt an approximation to truth which they never did and not only is a modern historical painter more truthful about the costumes of his personages and the architecture of his backgrounds but in the disposition and action of his figures he honestly endeavours to represent the scene as it actually may have occurred when i say that the modern painter does this i mean that in my opinion he ought to do it i am quite aware that many artists prefer to look at nature through the spectacles of the old masters but it appears to me that all art should be in some measure representative of the age in which it exists when we come upon a romanesque umbrian venetian flemish or eighteenth-century work of art we can tell at a glance to what period it belongs and i think that our own time being one of original thought and research should in some measure be similarly reflected in our painting i have no objection to gothic architects repeating in modern buildings the narrow staircases the dim lighting and other inconvenient peculiarities of the style were they to give us large plate-glass windows and noble flights of steps they would cease to be gothic architects but i don't think that however much we painters may admire the old masters we ought to adopt their modes of composition when we know them to be the result of ignorance error or carelessness the present graphic method of treating figure pictures is of quite modern growth and the innovation extends to all kinds of subjects compare any of giulio romano's rubens or lebrun's battle-pieces with those of raffet horace vernet or better still de neuville how unreal the old masters appear recall to mind the romans of david and his school and compare them with the best modern representations of roman manners and customs in the one case we may admire the noble drawing and even the classical lines of the composition but we are never transported back to the scene whereas in certain modern pictures we feel on much more intimate terms with the personages we fancy we are actually a spectator at the coliseum or a participator in a fete intime the realism of modern art is due partly to a greater knowledge of and a greater attention to costume architecture furniture and all the properties of the stage on which we place our personages but it is also due to our making truth a primary object an incident may be treated truthfully in fifty different ways but some of these versions of it will be dull some obscure and some vulgar and it is for the artist to select a rendering which though perfectly truthful shall be neither dull obscure nor vulgar as soon as he loses sight of truth he ceases to be a realistic painter he may produce a beautiful picture but it will partake more or less of what i call semi-decorative work 
it is sometimes very difficult to fix a boundary line between realistic and decorative painting to which class for instance belong the cartoons of raphael although designed for tapestry and therefore for decorative purposes there is too much truth and reality about them to allow of their being classed among purely decorative works whilst on the other hand we can hardly admit that they are like the scenes they are meant to represent the heads are italian rather than jewish or oriental and sometimes as for instance in the miraculous draught of fishes pictorial liberties are taken which are quite inadmissible in realistic work i may here observe that in this lecture i shall not use the word realistic in the bad sense in which it has generally come to be used the term is now generally employed to designate some ugly or offensive piece of reality which is prominently thrust upon our notice by the artist as when quentin matsys gives us wrinkled and abnormally ugly old men or when a modern french painter throws all his talent into depicting the thick viscosity of a pool of arterial blood reality is only in rare instances repellent and i can see no good reason for confining the word to these exceptional cases in historical or what may be called incident pictures the main object of the artist ought to be to tell his story forcibly clearly and pathetically we have seen that in work partaking of a decorative character the principal object of the designer should be to group his figures in a noble and picturesque manner to attend to his drawing and if possible to add the charm of agreeable colour to his work in realistic historical painting he has something else to occupy his thoughts he must by no means neglect the lines of his groups he must avoid disagreeable angles equidistant heads convergent lines where they are not wanted and all the other rocks and shoals on which many a composition has been wrecked but in addition to this he must tell his story truthfully and clearly much more latitude in the matter of arrangement may be allowed him than would be conceded to the painter of decorative subjects he may if he thinks fit huddle up all his figures into a corner of the canvas or he may place them all in the centre leaving the sides unoccupied in short he may take great liberties with the laws of composition provided always these liberties tend to assist in giving reality to the scene the more picturesque or melodramatic the subject the more he may depart from the usual rules of composition paul de la roche was i think the first of the numerous cohort of modern painters who have striven to combine truthful sentiment with pictorial fitness and of all his works the assassination of the duc de guise is perhaps the most striking the arrangement of this picture is as dramatic as it is truthful on one side of the picture we have the murdered duke lying on his back stone dead the group of assassins are quite separated from their victim and are giving themselves no further trouble about him and yet the greatest ignoramus who knew nothing whatever about the story would have no hesitation in divining it so graphically is the incident told again if we recall to mind another and a better known picture by the same master i mean that known as les enfants d'artois we find the same subtle taste displayed i may here note that the colour of neither of these pictures is in any way remarkable indeed that of the princes is positively bad being very purple and inky but their enduring popularity rests on a more solid foundation than mere colour 
it rests entirely on their truthful and poetic treatment i call the treatment poetic because a dull prose reading of both these subjects would have represented the murders as actually being committed whereas by choosing the moment in the one case immediately after the murder and in the other just before the artist avoids all the stabbing hacking and smothering business and increases rather than diminishes our interest in the victims jerome's a death of caesar is another example of novel treatment of a hackneyed subject he also represents the deed as done the conspirators have sneaked off the benches of the senate house are all but deserted the only occupant being a very fat senator who is fast asleep on one of the benches somewhere near the centre of the amphitheatre how much more empty the senate house looks with this portly old roman snoring on his bench than it would do if entirely deserted i do not wish to lecture on modern pictures but i mention this death of caesar by jerome as an instance of a happy departure from the usual treatment of the subject indeed it appears to me that all assassinations martyrdoms executions and such like subjects if painted at all should be approached in some roundabout way the action of stabbing cutting a head off or sending a bullet through a man's body is instantaneous and although an executioner with his drawn sword and uplifted arm about to decapitate his victim may be startling and sensational at first sight yet after a time the feeling of horror or of pity gives place to a sort of impatience that he is so long before striking the blow one of the orleans princes had a picture of a military execution which he admired very much at first by and by however he got tired of it and ultimately sold it or gave it away not because it was too much for his feelings but because he was heartily sick of seeing the squad taking aim day after day and month after month and never firing although the best modern masters of dramatic composition have probably been guided by sentiment rather than by rule still a few observations on the treatment of certain subjects may not be out of place in this lecture thus if the subject be a departure of pilgrims or emigrants the figures should be placed on that side of the canvas which is opposed to the direction in which they are going if it be an arrival they should be placed on the side opposed to the direction whence they came in both these cases the large portion of canvas without figures is not wasted it assists materially in telling the story in the first case it represents the journey to be undertaken and in the second the journey just performed if we had to paint a shipwrecked sailor who has just reached the shore we ought to let very little of the shore be seen but plenty of raging sea here the interest of the subject lies in the formidable dangers he has escaped so we ought to devote the greater portion of our canvas to the breakers and relegate our mariner and the bit of slippery rock to which he is clinging to a corner if on the other hand we wish to represent our shipwrecked man clinging to a spar in the open sea with no land visible we ought to place him right in the middle of the canvas so as to give the impression of hopeless isolation and if we wished to convey the idea that he might possibly be rescued we would paint a sail on the horizon and near the edge of the picture i should place it near the edge in order that it might appear to have just come in sight and that hope of rescue was dawning 
if we were to put the same vessel in the middle of the picture and bearing down upon the drowning man we might feel equally certain that he would be saved but the effect would hardly be as dramatic again let us suppose that we have an elongated space to fill and that the subject is a fugitive escaping where ought we to place him on the canvas if we place him in the middle he will look too much like a professional runner doing his ten miles within the hour and we should feel inclined to pull out our watches and time him supposing him to be running from right to left if we place him near the right side of the picture we shall not know whether his pursuers are not close at hand and as our sympathies are always with the fugitive whether he be a prisoner of war a convict or a fox we should be glad to see him safe over to the other side of the picture if we place him near the left edge our wish is gratified there is now the whole width of the picture intervening between him and any sign of pursuit and we feel naturally though perhaps illogically that he has a better chance of escape the word artful has come to signify cunning and is always taken in a bad sense but i suppose that originally it meant literally full of art full of that curious compound of observation good sense and poetic feeling which is so noticeable in raphael poussin and all the great masters of composition in the examples i have given you there has always been some good reason for placing the figures on one side of the picture but where no good reason exists it ought not to be done it may not be out of place here to say something about the size of the figures in proportion to the canvas this is a very important element in the composition of a picture and many a good and careful work has been spoiled by the figures being either too large or too small for the canvas in these days when the general destination of pictures is to decorate dining-rooms or to fill small galleries space ought to be economized we should avoid as a rule large areas of background but on the other hand when the figures are too large for the canvas the effect is very unpleasant an erect figure with the head bent down should have space enough above it to allow of the head being raised otherwise the figure has an uncomfortable look as if she could not lift up her head without wrapping it against the frame indeed all stooping sitting or kneeling figures should have space enough allowed them to stand up in they should not in short look as if they had been put into those attitudes in order to pack them into the picture the mannerism of introducing figures too large for the canvas originated probably from the old german masters of the albert durer school with them however it was not a mannerism but a habit contracted by wood engraving in those early days the engraving tools were very rude and coarse moreover the blocks were small hence it became imperative to design the figures as large as possible and the habit thus acquired spread to drawings and pictures when on the other hand the figures are too small the picture generally looks stagey as if the artist had taken his composition from some genteel comedy scene at a theatre cases frequently occur where it is desirable to keep the figures small as in a caravan march across the desert or in a procession moving down a cathedral nave in the one case it is desirable to give an idea of the boundless waste of sand and in the other the architecture of the cathedral is probably more interesting than the individual action of the priest composing the procession and therefore the figure should be very small for the canvas 
as to the actual dimensions of the figures in historical or genre subjects there is only one size which i think objectionable and that is rather smaller than life figures of four and a half or five feet high seldom look well half life size or rather more is a very good proportion and any size below this down to the microscopic figures of bruegel or meissonier is equally good in my former lectures on composition i gave you several examples of the kind of mental analysis which ought to be brought to bear on every subject you wish to design it will i think be unnecessary to go through all this again as you are i trust more skilled in the art of composition than you were five years ago nevertheless it may not be unprofitable to some of you if i work out again one or two of my old subjects one of the themes i selected was from exodus when moses was grown he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an egyptian smiting an hebrew and he looked this way and that way and when he saw that there was no man he slew the egyptian the subject to be the first part of the quotation that is where moses is watching the egyptian smiting the hebrew very well now there are two distinct centres of interest in this subject one is the brutal treatment of the hebrew by his taskmaster and the other is the indignation of moses under any circumstances it would be advisable to sacrifice one of those centres of interest to the other but the context absolutely prohibits all idea of uniting the three figures together in one group moses was certainly not visible to the two men we must therefore allow a considerable space between the figures and the question now arises which is to be our foreground group either mode of treatment seems to me equally good but supposing i fancy making the moses the principal figure in the picture how am i to express what is passing in his mind the other two figures will be in violent action therefore it will be well to represent moses in a quiet attitude but with an expression of concentrated indignation about him i just hastily sketch an erect figure any indication of a human figure will do to represent moses i have some ideas floating in my mind about making him clutching at his dagger and about the expression i will throw into his eyes and so on but for the present i leave all this alone and occupy myself with the general arrangement of the picture i find that with my erect figure of moses it will be better to make the picture an upright one and it will be necessary to make him in hiding or partly concealed by some building otherwise he would be in full view of the egyptian and i should not be in keeping with the word spied of the text i therefore put in a line or two to represent a building behind which he might be hiding now for the two men i don't at present elaborate the group at all i think the most natural reading is to suppose the israelite on the ground having fallen under his burden and the egyptian standing over him and beating him but for the present i make a kind of scrawl which might mean anything i do not quite like the place i have put it in i rub it out and shift it i am better pleased with the place now but the group looks too large i rub it out again and make it smaller now i find the moses is not quite in his right place i shift him about until i get him right 
and here let me point out the great advantage of a rough indication at first had i drawn my principal figure carefully with all the expression i meant to convey i should have hesitated about rubbing him out and my composition would eventually have suffered designing a subject is like drawing a figure in figure drawing you do not begin at least you ought not with sketching the eyes nose and mouth it is sheer waste of time to do so as the chances are ten to one in favour of your having to shift the head or to alter its inclination you make a simple oval with a line down the centre to indicate the inclination and then you go on with the rest of the figure if you have to change the head you can do so in two or three strokes the same method applies to the hands and feet students will often draw the fingers and toes and when the master comes round he finds that the hands and feet are in their wrong places and the work has to be done again never begin the detail of a figure until you feel sure that everything is in its right place and that the general proportions are correct in the same way in composition never begin to elaborate the figures until you feel sure that your groups are in their right places and of the proper size to return to our subject i will suppose now that i have got my figures where i want them to be i can go ahead now in all confidence i can try various attitudes for my striking and prostrate figures i can try different modes of giving to moses the kind of expression i wish him to have i stick to the ground plan of my design and also to the general features of the arrangement but i select my details as i go on now let us suppose that i have elected to take the other view of the subject in this case the picture would be reversed that is the struggling figures would be in the foreground and the moses behind i proceed always in the same manner i make a very rough indication of my two figures an indication which need not define either arms bodies or legs but which gives me an approximate idea of the size and general shape of the group this being done it remains to place the moses it is clear i must not put him very far off or his action and expression would be lost on the other hand i must not place him very near or the interest would be equally divided between him and the other figures i might perhaps by merely introducing his head with a pair of angry eyes glaring at the egyptian do something which would be original and telling and in this case with the head only seen he might be quite close to the struggling group all these different versions of the subject should be carefully considered before i finally adopt any one of them but when once i have made my choice i ought to stick to it there will be plenty of modifications to carry out in the individual action of the figures without again disturbing the general arrangement of the picture another of my illustrations of the reasoning an artist ought to bring to bear on his subject was the return of a crusader now here the first question which suggests itself is where shall we place our returning warrior on the road catching a first glimpse of his home on his threshold or fairly inside his house and surrounded by his family something may be said in favour of all three readings but if we place him at a distance on the road he will be alone or at least accompanied only by a retainer or two and we shall lose the best and most pathetic element in the subject 
if we place him inside the house and surrounded by his family we shall certainly avoid the objection to the first treatment but i think that the best moment to choose is when he has just crossed his threshold with the open door behind him admitting that we place him here our first and most obvious idea would be to make him the centre of a group his wife clinging to his neck his children to his legs his old dog licking his hand and the ancient retainer blubbering for joy in a corner on second thoughts however it might strike us that this treatment would be a little theatrical it would savour too much of the tableau vivant could not something more true to nature and therefore better be devised let us remember that our crusader has not been away for merely a month or two on a foraging expedition he has been away for years the boy he left has become a young man the infant a young girl and she of course does not remember him at all time and the son of palestine have also changed him greatly his ruddy british complexion has vanished his hair is grizzled his polished armour is rusty and hardly holds together then again his arrival is totally unexpected he has not as a more modern warrior would have done telegraphed to his wife to expect him by the next train all these causes tend to make it probable that on presenting himself on his own threshold there would be a short period of uncertainty of suspense and of hope in the air before he would be fully recognized with the daylight at his back his face would be in the shade which would be an additional reason for his wife not rushing into his arms at once her face would of course be in the full light and ought to express a yearning eager hope this expression would be difficult to depict but all emotional expressions which are not downright sensational are difficult it is very likely that in this as in the other example i have given you i might when i came to the actual execution of the picture adopt a different moment of time and a different treatment to the one which at present seems best to me my object in giving you these illustrations is not so much to recommend this or that particular mode of treatment as to show you how you ought to examine a subject from every point of view before committing yourselves to one particular reading in the prize for design which is associated with my name i purposely gave a whole day or one-third of the time allowed for the competitors to examine the subject in all its aspects so as not to commit themselves hurriedly to a treatment of which they might repent when it was too late for finished pictures taking three months to paint one-third of the time would be too large a proportion to spend in making up one's mind about the general arrangement but even in this case i think that more time might often be advantageously devoted to the design and less to the execution than is generally done i cannot refer to these sketches without expressing my great satisfaction at the progress made within a very few years some of you probably recollect the first competition and will doubtless agree with me that not only are the prize sketches greatly superior to those of the first year or two but the general average is also very much higher now i don't suppose that taking the average you are a much cleverer set of students than your predecessors of six years ago and therefore the marked improvement of which i have been speaking is due entirely to your attention having been drawn to the very important and i may add attractive study of composition 
although a great advocate for this study i cannot say i approve of sketching clubs as usually constituted experienced painters may perhaps join them with impunity their evening's contribution is always a faint echo of something they have done fifty times before but no good can come of any young artist cudgelling his brains to produce something original in two hours i don't think a professor of music would approve of his pupils meeting once a fortnight to improvise something on a given subject the result would be a farrago of stolen melodies and borrowed passages which would not lead to any good he who had the best memory and the cleverest execution would carry off the honours of the evening the original genius if there happened to be one present would be nowhere the same kind of thing would happen in a sketching club the thoughtful and fastidious members would become discouraged and perhaps give up composition altogether i think that friendly artistic gatherings are not only very enjoyable but very useful a man who systematically keeps aloof from all his colleagues generally deteriorates but the object of these gatherings should be the interchange of ideas and not the production of crude hasty sketches an historical or figure painter ought in addition to his knowledge of the human frame to study the connection between mind and expression and to steer a middle course between the facial monotony of giotto or cagna and the early masters and the grotesque grimacing of the montaigne school the works of lebrun and lavatier on facial expression are ridiculous and useless indeed nature is the only book we ought to consult if we wish truly to depict the effects of anger fear love and all the other human passions instead therefore of extending my observations in this direction i will return to the proper object of my lecture and give you a few more hints about the arrangement of a picture many artists in designing historical or what i call historical incident pictures prefer oblique to parallel perspective there are reasons for and against this practice and i am far from condemning oblique perspective in every case but i think that speaking generally the simpler method is preferable oblique perspective has the merit of being more picturesque and less formal but on the other hand it is less easily understood and although perfectly correct often gives a figure picture a lopsided look in every picture the horizon should be either above or below the centre of the canvas and not bisected into two equal portions this is evident enough in landscape painting but the reasons for observing this rule in figure pictures particularly in those where the scene is the interior of a room and no horizon is visible are not so obvious practically however it will almost always be found desirable to place the horizon considerably below the centre similarly the point of sight which in parallel perspective would of course coincide with the vanishing point should not be in the centre of the picture unless indeed the subject happens to be one of the severest kind it should be nearest to that side of the picture from which the light comes suppose the figures in a picture to be lighted from the left of the spectator and that the picture is hung in its proper light you would not stand exactly opposite the centre of the canvas to get a good view you would naturally place yourself a little on the side whence the light comes 
hence it is desirable that the point of sight should also be on that side where the perspective is parallel the eye is not at all shocked when the point of sight is fairly out of the picture indeed in pictures which represent a small area the effect is more agreeable when the lines converge toward a point outside in the determination of all these points as also in settling the height of your horizon you must allow yourselves to be guided by the nature of your subject what is right in one case is wrong in another in a prometheus bound you might with great propriety place your horizon below the picture altogether here quite at the bottom of the canvas you see the peaks of high mountains the real horizon would therefore be a long distance below it would not be impossible to suggest subjects where the horizon would be above the picture but i have probably said enough to show that exceptional subjects must be exceptionally dealt with beginners when they have a subject of several figures to paint will often find it of great assistance to make a small clay model of the whole design and to clothe their little figures with rags of different shades until they get an effect which they think will do the figures would be mere rough clay sketches just enough to give an idea of the proportions and attitudes the rags should be wetted with clay water and then the folds when dry will become quite stiff so that the figures can be moved about without disturbing the arrangement of drapery this plan is particularly applicable whenever the scene of the picture is a confined room or cell with a strong concentrated light over the board on which your little figures are standing you put an empty box or packing-case and you cut a hole in the side of the case to represent the window if you find the light on your group too concentrated you can enlarge the hole or cut a small aperture on the opposite side so as to diffuse the light in lamp or firelit subjects this maquette method is most valuable you admit no daylight into the box but you place a small lamp or night light wherever you wish the fire to be and you have nothing to do but to copy the effect you must of course bore a small spy hole at the point of sight in my early days in paris when pictures were painted and not single figures for the market almost every young artist had his little puppet show into which he was continually peeping during the progress of his work some of the pictures thus painted were badly composed some were clumsily executed some were crude in colour but all had a truthful look about them as far as light and shade were concerned the real shadows the reflected light and the half-tones were all in their right places and of the right value when a man has been painting pictures for twenty or thirty years he knows pretty well what his effect ought to be under certain conditions he knows when he may venture to copy the effect of light on the model before him and when he must depart from it but the beginner has no experience to guide him and i would strongly recommend him to try the little clay figures the whole group of say ten figures could be modelled in two days the legs of those which are to be clothed in flowing drapery need of course not be indicated at all and the roughest approximation to nature in the attitudes is all that is necessary provided effect only is wanted of course if you wish to study drapery from your small figures you will have to elaborate them with greater care and probably have to make them larger than would be convenient for the other purpose 
another advantage of pursuing this method is that it gives a little practice in modelling and i think that every figure painter ought to be able to give expression to his ideas in clay just as well as on canvas there is no necessity for his learning to work out detail in the clay he need never model nose eyes or mouth and still less fingers and toes but he ought to be able to give proportion and action to a small clay figure just as easily as he would sketch with charcoal on a sheet of paper before i have done with my little clay figures i think it right to caution you against relying too implicitly on the effects of light and shade of your miniature figures they are intended to serve as aids but not as models to be servilely copied when copied too closely the shades are generally too black and there is an absence of half-tones which gives rather a harsh look to the picture an ingenious fellow-student of mine improved on the method by rigging up a light semi-transparent canvas box instead of the wooden one he cut the usual opening to admit the light and the canvas sides of the box let in just daylight enough to take away all unnatural blackness from the shadows it may be asked why have a box at all why not model the little figures clothe them and put them on your studio table in the first place the light you require for your picture may be dissimilar to the light of your studio and secondly one of the principal advantages of the box system is that the sides of the box represent the sides of the hall or room of the picture so that you see at a glance how the shadows of the groups are cast you see which portions of the figures stand out dark and which light against the background in short you get a much more complete idea of what you propose painting than you could possibly manage in any other way for out-of-door subjects where the light ought to be generally diffused this method is altogether inapplicable but for any prison catacomb or cloister scene it will be found extremely useful in a composition of several figures you will after arranging your groups often find large portions of the ground or floor space unoccupied don't be in a hurry to fill up these spaces with unmeaning accessories they are sometimes most valuable as giving rest to the eye and ought often to be preserved at any rate they ought never to be filled up promiscuously with objects which do not assist in telling the story i remember when i was a student we had a stop-gap always ready in the shape of a pot of some sort or other if joseph was being sold by his brethren and there was an awkward corner in the foreground we would put in a water-pot the egyptian merchants who bought him would be sure to carry large pots with them if aeneas was escaping from troy with his father on his back there would certainly be a large amphora in the corner supposed to be too heavy for him to carry the captive jews could not wail by the waters of babylon without a whole set of pots occupying the nooks and corners of the composition now an oriental water-jar or an etruscan vase may be beautiful objects and nice things to paint but this is no reason why they should be invariably used as stop-gaps in a subject like hagar in the desert the empty water-bottle is an essential element in the story or again in rebecca at the well you may paint pots to your heart's content but in subjects where they are out of place it is best to refrain if you possibly can 
all stop gaps are very objectionable and if i mention this particular kind it is because it is the one usually resorted to i do not by any means wish to imply that you are to leave a disagreeable vacant corner unoccupied but whatever you put in it whether it be some cast-off cloak fruit or flowers dog or cat or even the irrepressible jar it ought not to look as if it had been purposely put there to fill up the hole doubtless it would be put there with that intention but the artifice ought not to be readily detected my main object to-night has been to impress upon you that in designing figure subjects you are not to take the first commonplace ideas which may occur to you but to reason your subject out and select whatever treatment you think most telling by so doing you are on the only true high road to originality there is a kind of originality or rather eccentricity which may be easily enough attained by ignoring the natural laws of action of light and of colour but i am speaking of originality united with excellence this i am convinced is seldom if ever attained by sitting idle and waiting for some happy thought to turn up you must use your brains constantly from the first charcoal sketch down to the finishing touches on the exhibition walls before closing this course of lectures i should wish to disclaim any desire of imposing my individual opinions upon any of you like every one who has thought a good deal about painting and painters i have formed my own ideas and have i think expressed them pretty freely but it would be quite contrary to my theory of free thought in art that you should accept as proven all the opinions i have expressed art as i have already observed is not a science i cannot take up the white chalk and prove to you by x plus y that my views are right and all others wrong what would become of our friends the critics if this could be done but although all assertions on art must be mere expressions of individual opinion it appears to me that the professor of such a many-sided art as painting is better employed in giving his honest convictions whether they coincide or not with the prevalent opinion of the day than in prudently confining himself to dry history or hazy aesthetics end of lecture twelve end of lectures on painting by edward armitage